1: Welcome to Seasons. I'm Marisol Castro.
2: And I'm Chef Plum.
1: Chef, it's always great to see you the last Thursday of the month. It is.
2: It's fantastic. I love being in person.
1: I see you um, more than I go to Mass because I was thinking, what do I do once a month? I used to go to church once a month, but now my church is Gateway Community College. There
2: you go. And it makes sense because I'm officially a reverend now. So Are you really? I married a client of mine two weekends ago. So Mazel. There we go. For $49.95 off <laughs> <from> of youmarrypeople2.com. <laughs> but yes, it's true. It's true. So I'm glad. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. Well, as you can glean, we are live from our studio in New Haven at Gateway Community College. And today's today's, today's special because we... I'm so excited for this show. If you are a fan of America's Test Kitchen on PBS... My this, hand's up. Yeah, both my hands are up. <laughs> this is the show for you.
2: Um, Co-host Bridget Lancaster is Zooming with us, answering your cooking questions live and on the air. And I have a few myself, Mm -hmm. actually. If you've got a question for Bridget about a technique or a recipe you saw on the show, join us by calling 203-776-9677 or 203-776-WNPR.
1: Bridget Lancaster, welcome to Seasoned. Hello, 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 (laughs) so great to be with you all. It's so great to hear your voice. theater of the mind that's what radio is right so absolutely so bridget and our and our listeners i'm looking over at plum i'm casting my gaze he has a tome of homeric proportions wow this cookbook means business
2: it's legit it is legit i mean this is every recipe from the tv show from 2001 to 2022 bridget that's crazy
0: that is crazy, I, and, you know, triple points for Homeric. <laughs> yeah, right?
1: That is, that is, crazy. that's up there with
0: Flintstonian. Well, you know, wow. I, I love both of those terms. I um,
1: former English teacher here, <laughs> so I try yes. to. I just, before we get with all these questions, I want to, I want to give our, our listeners a little background. You, America's Test Kitchen has been airing since 2001 on PBS, so snaps for the longevity. You started off as a Test Kitchen chef. Um, And you've been its co-host with Julia Collin Davison since 2017. So what was it like teaching America how to cook in the early 2000s? This was before, like, all the celebrity chef entered our lexicon. It was before the birth of so many different food even network YouTube. channels, even YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was That's that right. Like? Yeah. What was that
0: yeah. Like? We, we were part of that, um, uh, you know, the whole PBS drive. So it was educational television, still is educational television. And, um, we were, you, you think of, when you think of how to for, you know, fixing things around your house, you might think of this old house, but, uh, we became kind of the, this old house for cooking to so many people. And we had people, that were there before us like julia child obviously um mm-hmm. just to name one giant in the in the industry so getting into this idea of an ensemble cast um, and by the way i should point out that none of us were hired to be on television we were hired to test recipes mm. and uh that's exactly who you got on television so um i think at the beginning if i look back to that season one it's very unfortunate you know I'm like, <laughs> what was i thinking <laughs>
1: ah, No <way. laughs>
0: and, you know the, the lighting the us everything we're just so uncomfortable it looked like we were being forced to do it against our will no. um but um When I look back at that, it still is, and there are you can still see the original show today. And in that, I mean that we're just trying to get people to feel more comfortable in the kitchen. And you can do that by telling people what's going on in the skillet in front of you or in the oven. And if they know why things are happening, they'll become a better cook.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're, you guys, it doesn't seem like that. You come together very well on TV. I don't know. Like, yeah. it seems like I agree. It seems like you're all besties and you cook for each other all the time. Like I, I picture when you're not there, you're just going to dinner parties at each other's houses.
0: <laughs> well, you know, they say, you know the old saying is you got to fake it so you make it. But mm-hmm. we never had to fake it. We were just always talking about food. So right. um, what happens with us is we forget the cameras on. And that's, I think, what you're getting. Yeah.
1: Um, but I think that, that's part of what makes it so right. it has made it so magical is and that yeah is that you don't think that there is that riddle, little red light on you're just do <laughs> you're just doing you
0: right that's it. Yeah. That's it. and we genuinely do like being around each other So how can you not like being around food people exactly right?
2: absolutely <laughs> absolutely like like Manisal said this this tome of, of recipes is here and it's literally every recipe from from all 22 seasons of the show and it, it's a fantastic book and I don't know if you could ever have a, a favorite recipe from this ginormous <laughs> book or, or do you have one and What are a few home cooked favorites that you knew readers would absolutely make a beeline for?
0: Oh boy, a favorite. That is, I mean, we're talking how many recipes are in here? That's a um, lot. And, and they they switch. So what's always in my mind is probably something that I've done more recently. We just finished, actually, just wrapped shooting um, season twenty three. Believe it or not, congratulations! Um, thank you. But I actually, I think this recipe does uh, find its way, has found its way into the the current cookbook, which is uh, Yule Log. Um, It was it was something that we put off doing filming during the pandemic just for, you know, the facilities and having the people there to help us make it. And and we can get into the the kind of what happens on TV or what you don't see. People are just constantly producing the food at different periods Mm -hmm. so that we can shoot five or six recipes a day. Um, And the Yule Log was such a a masterpiece. I think I lost 20 pounds making it on (laughs) camera just from nerves um because i didn't want it it, it, the recipe itself is actually i wouldn't call it simplistic but it's actually really straightforward but having you know the cameras there and you know people are like we're waiting
1: oh
0: my gosh um and you know it's one of those holiday recipes that comes with pressure
1: i was just gonna say for the dummy in the room i'm raising my hand what is (laughs) what is the culinary version of yule log what is a yule log
0: So a yule log, it, uh, often referred to as a bûche de noël. So oh, okay. it's one of those roulade cakes that looks like a log, and it's frosted with buttercream, and yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. you you make a little plum um, is d-
1: plum is acting out what that looked I like, and it to, made to, and no, but it made complete sense while you for... were talking. He was pretending he was making it, and now I know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, it's
0: and it's adorable, and often you make meringue mushrooms with it. Our version has the meringue mushrooms, but they're bracket mushrooms, so they're actually. Look like real mushrooms coming off the side of the tree, and there's the fake quote unquote dirt. Um, you know, the forest floor, which is you know ground crumbles of chocolate and cocoa and and nuts, and it's just it's it's outstanding. So, I i would say that I it's definitely one of my favorite recipes. That's one that I feel like victorious at having gotten through it. Okay. Um, and some of the other ones that I absolutely love were the Korean fried chicken wings that we did mm. several years ago. Um, that is. Um, constant rotation here in House of Lancaster. And uh, the pork tinga we'll always go back to that. Um, sticky buns that I think that was the first season that Julie and I were co-hosting. and um, the the little clips from that actually became quite famous because we lost it halfway through um, tasting. We just couldn't stop laughing. I think it was <laughs> a sugar rush. and you know it's our first year as host, so there was all this pent-up energy and we lost it we just couldn't stop laughing it was one of those old kind of carol Burnett show moments where they just couldn't stop laughing Oh, that's and, great oh it was just wonderful but i i tend to equate um you know the recipes that i do on tv uh, i'll make little memories of it whoever i'm cooking it with I, I did this pork ragu with with keith who's great and and you know he i it's sometimes it's how i get to know people on a different level that I work with is is cooking with them on television because you tend to kind of start talking about everything if the camera's on you and um you know so you can learn things from the people that you work with
2: absolutely Bridget Lancaster the co-host of America's Test Kitchen on PBS is joining us on the show today if you have a question for her you can give us a call the number is 203-776-9677 or 203-776-WNPR and I want to point out I definitely would have lost a bet on the whole Yule log cake thing. I would never well, have guessed just, that she would have said that was her favorite, one of her favorite was, recipes. Oh, I was like, really? Wow, that's awesome.
1: Right. But then she you also mentioned Korean wings. Mm, mm-hmm. I, I wonder, you know, because like you said, you forget that the cameras are on and you're just doing your thing. How often are you tasting things when mm. you are cooking for the show? And are you like, oh my gosh, this has gone terribly awry? How am I going to make this work? <laughs> Well,
0: the testing process for any of our recipes, and, and the majority of our recipes for America's Test Kitchen come from Cook's Illustrated magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the testing method is one that it's it's been with us pretty much from the startup. Um, we've tweaked it. But, you know, so it, when a recipe starts, we come up with, say, roast chicken. Or if we want to be more narrow, we'll say lemon roast chicken. So we'll mm-hmm. start with that. And then we'll go and we'll call a whole bunch of recipes from various sources. And then we'll make them all simultaneously and have people come in and none of them are identified. So people don't know exactly what they're tasting. There could be no fan favorites at that point. And they write down um, exactly what they like or don't like. And then we start to craft kind of our direction from there. And at each each, um, little step, we are tasting all the different variables. So we're testing say a half a teaspoon of baking powder to a quarter teaspoon of baking powder for a baking recipe. That
1: minutiae, it gets that specific?
0: Absolutely. And some recipes, um, you know, so say something like a steak, that might be done quicker because you're not dealing with a whole bunch of different ingredients. But, you know, some baking recipes or candy recipes are notorious for taking a long, long time because, you know, you're talking with heat temperature, you're talking about You know the the depth of browning how much sugar what type of sugar all the different variables Um, but when we get to a point where we think that we've got it we do what's called an abuse test and that's where we'll we'll bake in different ovens or we'll cook on different stovetops and different pans Uh, and then we send it out to something called friends of cooks Mm -hmm. and that's kind of our our little army of people who've signed up on our website to test our recipes at home before they're published And we get so much great information. I mean, I'm talking thousands and thousands of people give us feedback on these recipes. And so they'll tell us, no, we need more instruction here, or I couldn't find this ingredient, or this didn't work for me. And if there's a consensus and change, then we'll change the recipes, take it back to the test kitchen. But the thing that we're always looking for is that we have to get an 80%, I would make this again. Mm -hmm. in order for it to be published in the magazine and then it goes on to the kitchen
1: you have to get at least a b-minus
0: yeah that's great yeah it's passing
2: great and just so everyone knows uh bridget herself actually answers all of those emails she sees them and reads them
0: it's just her (laughs) (laughs) and that's why nobody receives the response (laughs) let's
2: take a quick call here we've got denise from wyndham denise welcome to season what do you have for bridget today
0: hi um yes my question is um, I've been following you guys for many, many, many years, and I sometimes your recipes have multiple steps, um, take a lot of time. And I was wondering if, since you've been married and, and have a family, if your outlook on that has changed the way that you cook, uh, yes, <laughs> definitely. In short, yes. Uh, uh, I, I would say that our, our recipes are absolutely right. Some of our recipes have many steps. Multiple uh, dishes are dirtied uh, throughout the process. Um, and uh, But I always think that that is a great jumping off point. I would say that I, I myself will simplify even some of our recipes um, as best I can. Or I, I think it allows the people at home, if they know that the basics are there and that the recipe is going to work, then you, you know, right. I also keep a journal in my kitchen of the recipes that I've made. And I will just jot down quick notes. I could have done it this way. I could have done this. I could have, you know, skipped that step um, just for my own sake. So I think you are your own uh, you are the chef of your own kitchen. So uh, take control and, you know, definitely feel free to experiment with flavors. If you don't have this herb, try another one that you have on hand. Um, and absolutely, just keep a journal and and think about or write it right on the cookbook. Um, my cookbook is absolutely cluttered with all my mm-hmm. notes. Um, mm-hmm. my notes write absolutely. it down where you yeah. might make a change. But you're right. I, I, <laughs> as I've gotten older and wiser, and <laughs> the children have kept me in check. Um, they're not really children anymore; they're teens. Oh um, it's it has uh, changed how I cook at home. And being your own dishwasher definitely changes. That
1: changes, changes how you the game, yeah. for sure.
2: Absolutely. I'm like, I like paper plates.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like a one-pot dish. That's it. And only using a ladle and one knife. That's it. And that's that's all it. right. And that's what they're all going to eat I... with, too. Exactly. What can it. I cook with a Bic lighter? <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. Um, You talk about memories and you talk about um, your your own cookbooks. And I have to imagine, like so many other Boston chefs, you have some Julia Child stories. And I wonder if you could jar your memory for us and just just highlight one in particular.
0: I I absolutely loved that lady so much, uh, as many of us did. Uh, She came to the set in the early days um, for a visit. And we were I mean, it was just so quiet we were all in awe. I I I met Julia. I think the first time. I love how I'm on a first name basis with her. Um, I met Julia Child for the first time when I was actually working for William Sonoma a long time ago. Oh, yeah. um, I was also a pastry chef, but I was, you know, Mama's got to have two jobs to <laughs> to eat. So um, I was working at at William Sonoma, and we had a lot of celebrity chefs come through to sign cookbooks and do events, and this was during one of the terrible, terrible Boston uh, winter. Mm. And there was, I, I mean, it was just one of those ice storms. And um, the <laughs> Joya, uh, the, all the roads were slicked over and they had no way to get there. No, the person that was supposed to bring her wasn't able to do it. So I am another person that I went with, uh, worked with, went to go visit Joya Child and had to walk hold on to Julia Child, who was not a short person. She was a very tall, statuesque woman. And we held on to her and kind of skated her across this icy driveway because she was determined to get there and drove through this ice term to get back to the store for her fans that were waiting on her. And I just remember walking across that icy driveway thinking, I am going to be known from this day forward as the person who dropped America's treasure. Oh. At this point. <laughs> That's all I could think. And luckily I didn't. And she was so gracious. A couple of years later, my my husband, who's a chef, he he gave me a call at work and he's like, Julia Child's in here. And and, and I, I'm I went out to talk to her and she didn't understand a word I was saying because he's from Scotland and he has a very thick accent. And I said, Well that that would have been very funny. Wish I would have seen that. But you know, she was just she was the start of Uh, so many of our careers um you know and the fact that i'm doing anything close to what she did is just amazing to me
2: absolutely Uh, julia child's stories make me so happy like my Mm. heart just warms up a little bit absolutely listeners if you learned how to cook by watching america's test kitchen or there's a recipe from the show that's become you know one of your go-to's call us up right now while you have the ear of the co-host extraordinaire bridget lancaster there's a vegetable like fennel that you can't figure out or want to eat or Mm. prickly artichokes have come to mind too. Nobody Mm -hmm. knows how to deal with them. Give us a call here at 203-776-9677 or 203-776-WNPR is the number to call. I'm Chef Plum.
1: I'm Marisol Kastro. You're listening to Seasoned on Connecticut Public Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We are spending this live hour of Seasoned with Bridget Lancaster, co-host of America's Test Kitchen, the most watched cooking show on PBS. And she's been talking us through recipes, kitchen tools, ingredients, Julia Child, everything in between. If you have a question for her, now's your time to call 203-776-9677. That's 203-776-WNPR. Now, I love that I have two chefs with me. Okay. Because when we, before the break, we were talking about tedious things to cook. You know this, Chef Plum. I have a fear of cooking an artichoke.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, you do. It,
1: it. I never feel more mortal than when I'm attempting to cook an artichoke, which is why I never do. You don't do it. Can someone please help me? And by someone, I mean Bridget Lancaster and maybe Chef Plum.
2: Great person to ask. She should go first.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Artichokes are I, I call them the lobster of the vegetable
0: world. There's just so much that you have to do to them to get to that tiny little bit of sweet meat, right? Absolutely. Yes. yes. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I mean, do I how do I properly scoop it out? Mm. I've re- I listen, I've read Cook's Illustrated. I've watched the show A Nice Spoon. Yep. Do I soak it in a lemon water? I mean, what's the best way to pick it out when I'm in the produce aisle? I, I, I find myself squeezing the leaves, and if it squeezes back at me, I'm like, oh, this is a good one. What? I, I, you Wait know. a minute.
2: <laughs> that's a new one. I,
1: honestly, I learned that from my childhood. There was this little Italian lady, I remember, at Sea Town, and she said to my mom, like, she's in her— Squeeze it. She squeezed it, and if, it's, if it talks back to you, she said this in Italian, that's the one to buy. So that's— oh. Now you have something to add. Now Bridget, you have something to add. To Bridget, we got to take that speeches. with us. <laughs> That's pretty good. I am I am speechless
0: here. <laughs> yeah. I, I am I am going to head to the supermarket here in a moment.
2: I'm going to go try talk to, to
0: squeeze all. myself some artichokes. I'm going to go Please talk do. to all of them.
1: Go talk to all of them and hopefully they talk back to you. Okay, give it some. Give me the the Reader's Digest version. What do I do to an artichoke? Well, you're you're on the
0: right track. You you do want to tug at the leaves to see if any of them kind of fall apart or fall away from it. If they do. That means that artichoke's been sitting there for a while. But what do you like?
1: Do you like steamed artichokes? Do you like sauteed I like delicious artichokes. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I don't want to steam it. I don't want to steam it. I want, since it takes so much trouble, I want it meaty. I want it yummy. Yeah. Grilled. I agree. Yeah. Right? I yeah. Agree.
0: I agree with you.
1: Um, well, you do want to. Okay. So
0: there's a stem that comes with it. You do. It depends on how. Uh, long the stem is but you'll want to trim it and then you'll want to peel the stem if you want to eat a little bit of that you don't want to eat too much of that um, artichokes is one of those things that it's really hard i'm just realizing it's really hard for me to tell you how to do it uh, without showing you. i wish i was there um, you do want to peel away a lot of the out- outer leaves mm-hmm. um, you want to you can cut them uh in half which is really great i think it's a really great way is to roast them mm-hmm. um, i think that makes them super meaty so You want to strip away some of the layers of the outer leaves. Uh, You want to um, start to scrape the um, flesh after you have cooked the artichoke. So you're going to take off most of the stem. You're going to leave, I'm I'm actually looking at right now, leave about a half inch
1: attached. Bridget had no Uh, idea this was going to happen when she came on season. No. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um,
0: So you're going to take the outer leaves and you're going to kind of peel them back or break them off. Um, you know, for a few layers of those and then take a, a little paring knife. Um, I also, you know, the old fashioned, uh, vegetable peelers that had kind of the pointy sure. tip. Yeah. 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 That's one of my favorite, uh, Tools. uh pieces of equipment for this is, and then you want to start to kind of trim that outer layer of stem. So you can take the tip and then that little bit of the peeler just to mm-hmm, trim that, mm-hmm. uh, because they're super expensive. You don't want to trim too much away. You want to get rid of any, the dark green stuff then cut, cut it in half get rid of that choke because now it's cut in half. So that fuzzy bit in the inside, you can Mm -hmm. get rid of all that. And then if there's any little leaves in there that are discolored or kind of purplish, you want to get rid of those. And then those halves, you want to soak them in lemon water just to prevent them from coloring. But if you don't care about that, you don't need to. The lemon water is only there to prevent them from coloring.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, I thought that was a Brush them with a little bit of oil and then roast them with salt and pepper. And they're just Delicious.
2: Yeah, I agree with Bridget completely there. The only thing I do, I have a, a client of mine who loves them, and I take scissors and snip off little pointy ends ah, with scissors yeah. and then yeah. cut the end of it off, about, about half an inch, a quarter of an inch from the bottom, take some of that off. Um, same thing, peel the uh, stem a the little stem. bit. Then I split them in half, and I actually will cook them kind of like uh, almost similar to pasta. So I'll bring my water to a boil. Right, just to start it, heavily, heavily salted, heavily acidulated, so acidulated. Put lemon in there. Yeah, yeah. Drop them in just for a few minutes, and then pull them out just to get it started. I find it's easier to pull the uh, the guts out. Right, right. And then when you pull out, dry them <laughs> off. You can grill them a lot easier that way. You can roast them a lot easier that way. Because sometimes my. if you don't, if, you, if I don't blanch them, and Bridget, this is because I'm I'm a gorilla and I just mess things up constantly. <laughs> Stop it. But I do that to kind of let, give myself a little like safety mm, net to fall mm-hmm. in. That way, it is fully cooked. It's cooked all the way through. Then as opposed that's to great. letting it get overcooked you know so right you know like well, i a, love that idea just lightly blanch it and that's acidulated water makes a big difference And when i said like pasta i mean like in a very large pot full of water not some small little Because right, right, right. when we cook your pasta you want that it's in a, a big, big large yeah. pot absolutely right absolutely
1: guys thank you so much I'm going mean, to try this. You two are exhausted swelling, now. I hope we it. have a I hope we have a caller to give you guys <laughs> a, notes. a slight. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's <laughs> like
2: Give us a call here at uh, 203-776-9677 or 203-776 WNPR. Bridget Lancaster is joining us here. She's the co-host of America's Test Kitchen. So much great information. The new book just came out. It is all the recipes from 2021. I'm sorry, 2001 to 2022. It is thousands and thousands and thousands of recipes, but you know what else is in there? It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. A cool Section in that book all about kitchen tools and I things you this. need in the kitchen. Mm. Can we talk about tools for a moment, Bridget? Is that okay?
0: Please. I'd love to.
2: Um, we love the segments on America's Test Kitchens when chefs make a case for a certain knife or a pan or an appliance. <laughs> what's that testing process like and what's a tool that you were originally skeptical about and now you can't cook without it? Like really, you know, what's a gadget, what's in your gadget drawer at home? That's really what we yeah. want to know.
0: Yeah, my gadget drawer is actually pretty well refined because uh, I used to buy everything. And now, you know, I, I definitely notice what I keep going back to. The testing process that we do in the test kitchen is we do not ha- we do not test anything that comes straight from the vendor. When we decide that we want to test a, a certain type of product, say, you know, can openers, we go and we do the shopping and we try to shop from different areas of the country um, or we source it from you know, a ginormous uh, mail order company that you Mm -hmm. might know. Um, (laughs) Some people might order things from that area or that, that company. Hmm, It rhymes with Blamazon.
2: (laughs) Um, I got to write this down. What is this crazy thing you're talking (laughs) about? (laughs) We're in the future.
0: (laughs) So, but we're very careful to never, ever, um, test anything that's direct from the manufacturer because they might send us things that have special features not available to other people so we and we put things through the ringer we i mean basically the whole thing is we use the pans or the spoons or whatever it is as they are intended and then we will also do some abuse testing so we want to mimic what things are going to be like after five years of use 10 years of use um there's great video of lisa mcmanus that i work with Um, actually bashing skillets on a concrete sidewalk outside (laughs) of our office, (laughs) Um, just to, you know, really, really um, (laughs) try to abuse it. And another one was for zipper lock bags. We filled them with spaghetti sauces and we had to kind of rig this, um, almost like this sort of makeshift robot that would drop these bags from a certain height to see how, how long they would um, stay intact without bursting open. Um, so that's how we do our testing. And that's really, I mean, we, we put it through the ringer, but I would say the thing that surprised me, and I know that the technology is good. I just didn't think I would use it so much, it was a, a an immersion circulator. a oh, yeah. stick. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I can't believe how many times I am when I'm in conversations with my family who all received those as Christmas gifts over the various years.
2: You're a great gift um,
0: giver.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> will I'll say have you tried sous-viding this, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I don't know sous-vide is a verb, but uh, have you tried cooking this in the sous-vide? And, and it's, it's just, I don't know. There's something about it that it feels like I'm cheating because you can hold foods, especially proteins. You can hold foods at at temperature for hours. So um, say that you're making steaks, you can, and you've got a bunch of people coming over. You don't want to be over the grill for, you know, 20 30 minutes however you're cooking it you can cook the steaks so that they're up to a certain temperature and then just finish them just for a minute right. or two ah. on
2: the grill and they're so succulent it's amazing oh, it makes such it does difference. make
0: a better steak in my opinion
2: absolutely so. and a lot of these ga- gadgets and stuff we see just because they're expensive doesn't mean they're good you know i switched from my expensive knives i used to use to a local company who makes them and they're fantastic
1: yeah you they know. do the job
2: absolutely. We've got Bridget from Stanford calling in here. Let's talk Bridget to her. Bridget, 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 welcome hey. to season. Hey, great, great name. great name. What do you got for our show today?
0: Bridget, I was watching the show uh, several years, and I always wondered because we're all told to chop the garlic and let it rest for a few minutes so that all the good stuff can come out before you throw it in the pan for cooking. But you guys never did that. I'm like, why aren't they letting the garlic rest? You know, I... rest the garlic before you. <laughs> Right. Um, That is something that we have tested and that we have not found that to be the case. And if you have a if you have a a board that's even slightly absorbent, a lot of that garlic flavor is going to be going right to your board. So Uh um, it's it's not worth um, certainly it's not worth the waiting on uh, for the garlic. And, um, you know, that the rule of garlic, rule of garlic, rule of thumb with garlic We're going to call it the rule of garlic. I like like the rule of garlic. New t-shirt, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, the more you chop it, the smaller the pieces, the more flavor that you are basically releasing. So that really is the only thing that's going to um, affect the flavor, whether it's uh, being allowed to come out, as you said, before it hits the pan. So if you want a lot of garlic flavor to go into that pan, you want to mince it really fine. Uh, If you want a softer garlic, then keep pieces bigger.
2: Now, Bridget, would you recommend doing garlic not on a wooden cutting board? Would you suggest maybe taking a smaller like plastic board or something like that out to do it on?
0: I, it depends on you. I, I We were talking a little earlier. I love garlic. I will mm-hmm. take garlic flavored anything, even the things that people say garlic doesn't belong in. So I think as long as you're cleaning your soap and water, it'll take the garlic flavor um, out of uh, a chopping board most of the times. But, yeah, I, I keep a wooden board. Uh, actually, all of my kids. Kitchen counters are wood, so my whole kitchen is the giant wood cutting board. But I do keep plastic on hand uh, or the kind of nylon. Yeah, that uh, boards. And I was exactly yeah. talking about yep. yeah for like meat or stinky vegetables. I would say. Great tip! I, I think like that's a good it. idea.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I like the smaller the garlic, the more the flavor.
1: I love. I know. Mm. I love garlic too. Well, from gadgets to pantry, because mm. our listeners love to know what the pros have in their pantry so what are your what are your go-to's I open up the pantry first of all is everything alphabetized
0: no oh,
1: oh you'd be so disappointed
0: <laughs> <laughs> you would just yeah I am so i uh, I am like my my pantry looks like Kramer from Seinfeld uh, wow. organized it or something <laughs> wow it's terrible um I have uh lots of different salts I I would say that's something that I get a little nerdy about. I love different kinds of salt for different, um, applications. I love Malden sea salt, the big flakes to add, to, uh, toss over or to sprinkle over everything from, you know, a piece of beautifully roasted chicken or uh, some sort of chocolate dessert, Mm. you know, just goes right over the top of it. Um, I love to keep lots of different olive oils on hand, Um, although I feel like I've been paring those down. So I have a supermarket extra virgin olive oil and then I might have a really lovely uh, imported oil. Probably that was given to me as a gift. Excellent. (laughs) Uh, um, Vinegars. all kinds of vinegars because they will wake up they're they're kind of like the the unsung hero of seasoning we always talk about salt and pepper but acid. a little splash of acid right can Ac- just
1: acidation take- what did you call it
0: Acidification? <laughs> Acidification, acidulated, acidulated. There you go. Acidulate the food. <laughs> season. Yes. So,
1: at, come for the <laughs> recipes, stay for the vocabulary lesson. There's some season vocabulary <laughs> words in this
0: episode. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, a little bit of a splash of vinegar, especially if you've cooked something for a really long time. So, a stew, or I think of something like lentils, or um ham split pea soup anything that cooks for a long time if you just check that seasoning with a little bit of vinegar or a little little spoonful of mustard or something that can brighten it up yeah um and then you know there's the thousand different kinds of breakfast cereal i have
1: oh (laughs) captain crunch crunch berries what do you have i have i have
0: i have i have a problem with breakfast breakfast cereal i have i have a real problem i love the stuff um
1: what's yeah, your favorite my, yeah, what's oh rest?
0: my goodness my favorite all time is frosted flakes because oh, okay. i feel like they're like they're naughty corn flakes right which is they probably are. why i love them tony tony
1: <laughs> the tiger goes rogue and
0: yeah right wow. and then you know for the non-frosted flakes uh fans i have lots of different cans of tomatoes um and uh i i keep these spices kind of on a minimum um even the dried spices i tend to go back to a few of them and um, I, I keep a lot of my spices actually in bulk in my chest freezer and keep very little on my drawer.
2: Huh. That's great. I mean, I like a good spices, you know, a good spice to use, but I keep it very simple. I like a good chili powder, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cumin, you know, some staple items. I'm not a big fan of, you know, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of dry herbs either. Bridget, what yeah. do you think of dry herbs? Are you a fan of those? <laughs>
0: um, I, I can be a fan of them. I think that they are, um, you know, as, as I cook more and more, I go to them less and less, um, but I think dried oregano, dried thyme or mm-hmm. two that I will keep going back to. Um, they do have a different flavor than the fresh, but yeah. I don't dislike that flavor. Yeah, and I always Um, tell
2: people too when they use them to be smart about it. And what you want to do is you want to put it in your hand at first and you want to mush it with your fingers a little bit to to release those oils. It really changes the flavor of a dry herb when you do actually want to use it in something. And that is a proper culinary term, by the way mush it in your hand.
1: Mush. That is. You learn that your second year (laughs) of culinary school. That's it, that's (laughs) it right there.
2: That's not a first Uh, year term.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I do have, uh, I was just thinking about the cans of things that I have. I do have a can of haggis in my pantry. Oh, what? Uh, I haven't, yeah,
1: yeah. And for um, listeners that don't know, haggis is? Oh, I can't say
0: it, it. Yeah, if I said it on uh, air, people would just turn the radio off, but basically it's uh,
1: uh, canned
0: haggis is a Scottish uh, sausage, mm-hmm. I will call it, um, yeah. of sheep stomach that is filled with suet and different cuts of sheep innards that, that
1: sounds delicious do you top that, that over gorgeous. your frosted flakes the best way is just to
0: keep it in the can okay and the just forget about seat. it the right. trash can. next year keep, when i find it again exactly. keep,
2: it, keep it in the trash can that's the can she's <laughs> talking about there we go if you want to talk to Bridget. Lancaster from America's Test Kitchen. Give us a call. If you have a question about what to do with haggis, give us a call. The number is 203-776-9677 or 203-776-WNPR. We're so excited to be having this time with her right now. Um, before we go to break, just really quick, Bridget, we got to ask a little bit about burgers because America's mm-hmm. Test Kitchen recommends an 80% lean ground mm-hmm. chuck and making that indentation in the middle of the burger before grilling. Um, just talk about that for a second. Talk about the burger and that 80% ground.
0: Yeah. So that's really, that is the right ratio of lean to fat. So you're getting, you know, 80% lean, 20% fat, uh, anything less than that you're going to have a burger that can tend to get really, really kind of hard and tough. And then the divot was actually the divot. I was there when the divot was created, the divot in the burger, um, You know, you we think about burgers, often they end up looking more like a meatball. And this was Mm -hmm. to create just a little indentation in the center so that when it pops back up, think that little pop-up timer on the turkey. Um, And when it pops back up, that's the burger's beautifully flat and it doesn't look anything like a meatball. But, you know, burgers are one of those things that it's basically, if you're grilling them, you just turn all those burners to high unless you've got one of those super, you know, uh, turbo Uh, grills, but just turn all the burgers to high and get that grill grate screaming hot. That is absolutely key. Then scrape it and, you know, you just want to put the burgers on the grill, cook them like two to three minutes per side, but do not press on them because you're going to press Mm -hmm. all those gorgeous juices out.
2: Absolutely, and I always tell people to let them come to room temperature first if you can if you're not too afraid of that, and don't forget to salt them. Very, very important. Salt your burgers. Very
0: important, and let them rest afterwards about five, ten minutes.
1: I love it. Listeners, we are spending this hour coming to you live from our studio at Gateway Community College with Bridget Lancaster. Give us a call. She's here to answer questions. And after the break, we're gonna ask her what her favorite television shows are to watch. Ooh. And yeah, I think you and I both love Paul Hollywood. That <laughs> is a teaser. Give us a call, 203-776-967-203-776-WNPR. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to season. I'm Marisol Castro.
2: And I'm Chef Plum.
1: If you have a cooking question for Bridget Lancaster, co-host of America's Test Kitchen, we can squeeze in a call right now. 203-776-9677. That's 203-776-WNPR. Join us on the air. I mean, we have an expert. Yes, we do. So exploit her brain like I am about (laughs) to. When we last saw our heroine... um, I was asking you about your favorite TV shows and a little birdie told me you may or may not like the great British Bake Off. True or false? Love it. Love it. It is. Um, I get that
0: same kind of contentment um, that I used to get from watching Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's, it's,
0: it's that just like everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Everybody's supportive of each other. There's,
1: you know, it's Happy just such a
0: lovely show, in
1: and every way. <laughs> I was late to the to the game with that show, but once I started watching, I was hooked, and now I do. You, have you ever seen it, Plum? A couple episodes, I have. Those blue piercing eyes, yeah, of uh, oh, Paul of Paul Hollywood, <laughs> and if he shakes uh-huh. your hand, you're pretty much guaranteed to win the show, and wow. it's. Uh, it's mayhem, but it's controlled mayhem.
2: I don't think I noticed that part of it. Wow, oh, if he yeah, shakes yeah, a hand, yeah, you win, huh? If
1: he shakes your hand, they're like, I'm never washing my hand again.
0: Oh, all right. Well. Which, which is terrible if you're cooking.
1: Which is awful, right? <laughs> 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 exactly.
2: uh, let's take another call here. We've got Mary from Stamford. She wants to know a really great grilling question going back to our burgers. Mary, welcome to Season. What do you got for the show today?
0: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I was wondering what's a good marinade for like an inexpensive steak or if you're doing kebabs on the grill. Mm.
2: Great question. Mm. Great question.
0: Yep. So a lot of marinades um, will, uh, if if they're too acidic, they'll actually start to break down the food a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and you can get this kind of mushy um, kind of coating around them. the The key to a good marinade is some sort of sodium because that's the only way. That the um, liquid, whatever you're using to soak that in, is actually going to make its way into, say, the meat. So I always think, as long as it has soy sauce or enough salt in it um, and time, you know, 30 minutes of time, especially for smaller pieces of kebab meat, um, you're fine. So I, you know, my go to marinade is probably soy sauce, a little bit of water. So you don't want to all soy sauce, a little bit of water, um, some minced garlic, maybe a few smashed. like bird chilies or or red pepper flakes in there and just a little bit of brown sugar. And I mean like a quarter teaspoon just helps with browning so that The food doesn't get too, I have to spend too much time on the grill before it turns nice and crusty and brown on the outside.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great tip right there, too. Uh, You wanna, the sugar really helps kind of add to that caramelization. Even though meats don't caramelize, it's called the Maillard reaction. Mm -hmm. That's what meats do. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this before. But um, for me, I'm a big fan of keeping things dry and using dry rubs. I enjoy making Mm. for for steak, uh, you know, a, a little thyme, garlic, good salt. I don't think you need much more than that with it. But if you have something tougher, you know, like Bridget was saying, doing that wet marinade is a great way to go. But for me, I would take it off, dry it, and then put it on the grill. So mm-hmm. when it goes on the grill, dry, because you want it to get those uh, nice char marks on the outside. If it's wet, it won't, it will steam. You, if it's dry, it will actually sear off. So there's we'll my sure. my public service announcement. Sorry, Thank you. Bridget.
0: Nailed it. <laughs> yes. Oh, she has
2: another question. Yes, go ahead, Mary.
0: When you do the marinade, do you add like any uh, olive oil or vinegar or lemon juice? Uh, well, it depends. If you are going to wipe that off, um, no, I, d- I don't think you would need to add any uh, olive oil um, to your marinade. Um, if you're going to just go straight from the marinade to your cooking vessel or whatever that is, if that's a saute pan or under the broiler or, or the grill, you might want to add a little bit of olive oil, especially if it's something like chicken or a pork loin or pork tenderloin, something that's really, really lean and might stick to the grill.
2: Yeah, adding that fat. Great questions, Mary. We mm-hmm. appreciate you. Thanks for calling. Um, Bridget, just to go along to kind of tag that a little bit, I'm curious what your thoughts are when it comes to this. So if you're cooking something like a like a chicken breast or or, or, or even steak, I guess any kind of protein, a lot of people try to marinate their meats overnight. And I always say it's probably, that's almost overkill. Maybe Mm. you don't need to do it overnight, especially if it's something that's going on the grill or, you know, like a steak or a burger or a a, a piece of chicken, Mm -hmm. you know, because so many of us do put that acid in there and that can start to break it down almost too much. Uh, Is that something you guys have tested at the the America's Test Kitchen?
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think when it comes to marinades, like you mentioned the acid and breaking down, which is what I was saying. Oh, you think about ceviche. I mean, that is actually a chemical reaction of the acid that is changing the structure of the protein. So, it's essentially cooking it. So, if you have too much of an acid, especially in your marinade, and you leave the protein in there for too long, you can start to get well, two things will happen. One, you'll start to get a little bit of that kind of mushy exterior, but also the interior of the meat, I call it, it, it can get a little um, deli meat ish, yeah. for lack of a better, better yeah. word, but yeah. it gets that kind of springiness. Um, but I, I really think that the only time, the only thing that you need to do to, especially something like a steak, if you wanted to do, you had a big, super thick steak and you wanted to make sure that the seasoning was going into the steak a little bit more, you might want to sprinkle it with some salt and put it in the refrigerator for four hours, six hours. Um, And that allows that salt to dissolve. It'll start to pull out a little bit of the moisture of the meat and then it'll work its way back in. And so you'll get more of a seasoned piece of beef.
2: Is that called osmosis? I don't know.
0: Yes, yes it is.
1: Yeah, yes, maybe
2: it is. Nailed it, it is, again. Yes. <laughs> yes,
1: look at
0: you.
2: <laughs> let's uh, let's go to Matthew here from Durham. Matthew, welcome to Season.
0: Hi, I, I I don't really have a question
2: for Bridget, as I just wanted to say what an inspiration she and Julie are, and, and I was just saying to the other woman that I I love your shows, I love your books. Your books are are the only thing that I really go to for all my recipes and and i just wanted to say how wonderful you and Julie are and and just how much i i've learned from you and enjoy your recipes and 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 that was that was about it that's a great call Uh, matthew
0: that That was just that was so lovely and honestly it's exactly exactly why we do what we do so i can't tell you how much i really appreciate that that just means the world to me
2: Well, thank you so much. And and then throw that compliment toward Julia when you
0: talk to her. I will absolutely do that.
2: There we go. Thank
0: you so much. Uh,
2: we got one more, another great question here. We've got Elaine from East Haddam calling. Uh, Elaine, welcome to Seasoned.
0: Hi. Yes, thank you. Uh, my question has to do with a garden full of bok choy. One of my favorites. And mm. I've never had bok choy before. I'm wondering, I know you can use it in stir-fries. So I'm wondering if you have some favorite recipes or some something other than stir-fry as well. What can I do with bok choy? Oh, Elaine,
2: it's your mm. lucky day. Bridget, let's break it down. <laughs> break
0: it. <laughs> oh, bok I'm choy. Down. I love bok choy. I mean, just it's kind of all the best. It's the best cabbage, right? It's the best little cabbage thing out there in my opinion because um, it's, it's the root to the little leaves. They're all delicious. I would cut it right in half, right through the core. Keep each half intact. Um, you're going to take a, a sheet pan, uh, just a rimmed baking sheet. You're going to put it in a, say, 400, 425-degree oven alone. Let it get nice and hot. You're going to brush the bok choy with a little bit of olive oil, salt, and pepper. And then place them face down on that super hot pan and let them just roast for maybe eight, 10 minutes until they mm-hmm. get that caramelized bottom. Mm-hmm. Flip them over and then drizzle it with a little bit of soy sauce. You can use a a gorgeous, like a black vinegar over that would be lovely. And maybe toasted sesame seeds, a little bit of a sprinkle of ginger, would be great. Oh, absolutely.
1: Ooh. I have some bok choy in my refrigerator right now. I know what I'm making when I get home. Yeah. Yes,
2: for sure. <laughs> Or just when, chop. When
1: in doubt, roast. Yeah. Right? Roasting roast. is the
2: easiest way to do it, no doubt about it. But if you want to chop it up and throw it into a saute pan with a little bit of oil and or mm. a pinch of sesame oil and then put some garlic, ginger, and scallions in there with it and saute it up nicely. Finish it with a little soy sauce and put some like rice bread type noodles in with it.
1: Yummy. What an an easy, entire meal.
2: Easy, easy meal right there. I mean, I, I, I can eat bok choy all day. Is it I weird? Bok
1: choy. No, you are weird. Yeah, the I fact know. that you like bok choy is not. Bok
2: choy fan club card holder number one. Thank that's you. That's who I am right thank now. Elaine, thank you very much.
1: <laughs> we'll work for Bok choy. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's
0: a, that's
2: a, don't tell them that here. Uh, we've, and we've also got Yvonne from Richfield Con. Yvonne, welcome to Seasoned.
0: Hi. um I was wondering the most efficient and effective way to chop fresh time because the leaves are so tiny and if you need any quantity it's really hard to do
2: great question Mm -hmm. any any tips there bridget for that
0: yeah well my favorite tip is i get somebody else to do it for me perfect Um, that's (laughs) absolutely that is a a task that i prefer to offload on on an unsuspecting person um i you know it's i think time was written with the correct word because that's what it takes to get through it all yeah. uh, it takes quite a bit of time uh one thing you can do and of course this only works with fresh time but if you throw it in the freezer you're going to lose a little bit of the potency potency but if you throw uh a, like several sprigs in the freezer let them get <laughs> really hard you can knock them on the counter and the leaves will just come off
1: no way does that
0: really work yeah, it works a lot, a lot easier. It's, it, they basically crumble under your hands.
1: I mean, she's kind of with like, America's Test wow, Kitchen. I think
0: I've she knows. I've never done that. that <laughs> Hello.
2: I'm totally doing that tonight. So that's incredible.
0: So yeah, just you, you got to get them, you know, really, really frozen. And then just, you know, go in the opposite direction of the time break. And you'll just be amazed at how much more comes off.
2: Wow, that's, that's a new trick in my book. I'm definitely trying that. Yvonne, give that a try.
0: Thank you <laughs> <laughs> but you also the little tiny tender stems of the thyme. you don't yeah. need to get rid of those those actually have quite a bit of flavor and you can just mince those right in with the leaves too so i think people overpick their time i agree i absolutely in agree. 30
1: seconds give us your best easiest dessert that we could do with summer berries
0: best easiest dessert oh uh,
1: blueberry cobbler
0: okay. i mean make biscuits Cook the blueberries with some little bit of uh, sugar and maybe a little bit of lemon zest uh, in the bottom of a Dutch oven. Uh, make a biscuit topping, put it on top, and sprinkle with cinnamon sugar and bake.
2: Perfect. Absolutely. Bridget, we can't thank you enough for joining us. We really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Bridget Lancaster is executive editorial director for America's Test Kitchen. Millions of fans know her as the co host of America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country on PBS.
0: Bridget Lancaster. I've had. Thank you so much. Oh, sorry. Both of you have had so much fun, and uh, I'm sad to see this hour end. So thank you, and happy summer.
2: You are the best. Happy we appreciate summer. it. Season is produced by Robin doyen aiken Katie Talarski, Emily Cherish, and Catrice Claudio. Thanks to Jean Amatruda for running the board. Our summer interns are Anya Grondowski and Mira Raju. I'm Chef Plum.
1: And I'm Marisol Castro. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Bok choy for life. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>